Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am excited to share with you my friend and colleague, Erin Dodini, and talk about, I don't know, diagnosis and treatment. And I don't know, let's let's see what this conversation is going to be about. Welcome, Erin. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Our conversations are always interesting. So it's uh, going to be fun to see where we go. So you've met a few of my other colleagues. Aaron and I are both working together in a consortium called the ADHD Consortium that's been convened by QB Tech to really improve practices, diagnosis, and treatment of ADHD. And it's a group of kind of forward-thinking professionals from all over the country who are coming together regularly to talk about how can we do it better. And so, you know, with that as a lead-in, I guess, let's start with what do you do? How did you how did you come to be specializing in this arena? Tell us more. Quite by accident. Um, to be honest, I started my training as a family therapist, a marriage and family therapist. Didn't really understand what assessment was. Switched over and finished up in clinical psychology where I was forced to do assessment because I hated it. Um, <laughs> did not find it interesting at all. And about, uh, I guess about now 15 years ago, just so many of my clientele were asking about ADHD assessments. Um, and honestly, what, what I thought of when I was being asked is, you know, doing big, huge batteries of tests and, you know, IQ tests and tests of achievements and thousands of dollars and things like that. And I became familiar with a better way to do it um, and started down that path. And haven't looked back since. I've loved the the process of helping folks figure out um, whether or not they have ADHD, uh, helping them find out whether their kids have ADHD. What I used to hate, I now love having. So, what's different about it for you? Yeah, you know, it's it really for me. There was so much subjectivity in if you're doing a Rorschach, for example, or an MMPI. You know, saying what kind of bat is on the on the page didn't appeal to me. It just felt like I was uh, there was just so much subjectivity in in the evaluation process, and it also felt um, formulaic in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I missed the interpersonal, you know, the connections with with people, right. and really using the the products that we use, QB Tech, they've made it so much easier, more accessible, and funner, frankly. Um, we're able to to connect with people and looking at the data and describe, you know, talking about how that links up with their life experience. So it's just been a lot of fun and it's really gratifying to me. I tend to specialize and focus on adults with ADHD 
And it's not uncommon at all for me to work with a you know 45, 50 year old person who's never been diagnosed yeah. and you know have just been battling their whole lives. And to finally be able to give them some answers and some solutions, it's it's been life-changing for so many. And it's just an honor. It's a privilege. I, I have a blast every day. I love that. Yeah, I, I feel much the same. So let me clarify what I'm hearing because sometimes we tend to start with an assumption that people know what we're talking about. Sure. So what I think I just heard was that when you first started doing assessments, there was this kind of laborious process that felt disconnected and subjective. And yeah. you have found your way to a, a kind of more streamlined approach to diagnosis of ADHD in particular and, and related issues, I'm sure, that feels every bit, if not more accurate, but also somehow more connected. That's exactly right. Streamlining the process. When we can do that, we can bring the price points down as well. It's not so laborious and burdensome to the client. You know, it used to be in the old days right. that it's been days doing the assessment and then wait a month to get the report. Right. And it was chock full of awesome stuff, but frankly, not uh, in some ways, as related to neurodiversity as we would like, right? And so to be able to have specialized you mean in tools. In that executive function is missing yes. <laughs> from the standardized evaluation? Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this this is much better. It's uh, streamlined. It's in many ways, I think, more precise and valid. And we can do it for a whole lot less money and a whole lot quicker. Wow. And so do you work only with adults or does your practice also work with families and children? Yeah, you know, primarily adults. Um, I have colleagues here in the area. Um, I'm in the D.C. metropolitan area that I'll refer the kiddos to largely because I, in fact, sometimes want to get more data. I want to see what's going on, right. uh, whether somebody's dyslexic, for example, or also has an autistic spectrum disorder or something like that. But when we have, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds where we have a pretty good confidence that we're, that we kind of know what we're dealing with, that we're not going to miss something, then I'll work with the families. Very often, you know, there's this genetic component, right? So yeah. uh, very often it's one way or the other, either the kid is getting diagnosed and all of a sudden mom and dad are like, huh, maybe. Sounds so familiar. Yeah. Or it's the other way around. So either way, we're, you know, we're working with families, we're working with systems, we're working with the community, couples, for example, you know, where one has ADHD and the other doesn't, or mm -hmm. both do. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that'd be my world. I often say that I watch my kids one by one get diagnosed like dominoes, which is how I yeah. finally got to assessment. So there are a couple of different places that I could see us going in this conversation. One of the things that really strikes me is that there's this clarity of what it is more simply. One of the things that happens for me a lot, because, you know, I work with families. So parents come to me all the time saying exactly what you just said. My kids have been diagnosed. I think I have it, or I think I might have it, or I've always assumed I do, or I was diagnosed as a child or, you know, so this is a strange question, but what, from your lens, what's important about an adult actually getting a diagnosis? If they think they may or may not, they've been living like that for years or decades. What's important about diagnosis? What a great question. The first thing that I think about is I'm a better parent myself, right? When I've gotten the support and the help that I need. So from the perspective of helping our children, 
I can't think of anything more vital than getting ourselves the support we need. So I think that's the first piece, the the benefit that yes, we we improve our own lives, but I think we improve our ability to teach our kids, to support our children, to um, manage in some ways um, the emotional reactivity, right? With whether it's rejection sensitive dysphoria going on or, you know, just the stress of, you know, a busy household. Um, I have four children and, you know, we're <laughs> all in different ends of the spectrum of many different spectrums. And it's when we're able to help a parent get their support and then they can then, you know, reinforce the, the supports for their kids. That's been really rewarding. I think also when parents and children can see that they aren't too far apart, right? Cool. That they actually do understand one another. Mom and dad do kind of know what it's like to go through what the kid is going through. It's an interesting thing when families yeah. are going through treatments together, right? When there is this process of of coming together around a diagnosis and around the treatment process, there's a lot more, I think the ancillary benefits of greater intimacy, greater connection, greater closeness can't be under understated. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Completely. Here's what I want to do before the break. I want to just kind of complete a conversation about diagnosis and then come back and talk about treatment. Is that cool with you? Yeah. Sounds great. Great. So I'm going to go backwards a little bit because, you know, whether the kids are coming first or the adults are coming first, there's an emphasis that you're placing on the importance of a proper diagnosis, a, a well-identified diagnosis, you know, and, and there, there is a difference between a stressed out parent and a parent who's reacting because there's an underlying diagnosis, yep. right? A lot of parents will come to me and say, well, I don't want medication, so I don't really need a diagnosis. <laughs> um, and so we'll, I know we're going to address that in the treatment part, but is there anything else that's important to understand about the value of, of diagnosis of understanding it before we move into that other section? I mean, I imagine most of your listeners and, and audience is going to know this intuitively. Very often, our instincts, right, are, are to put on the mask of the kid first, right? Oh. It's just, we get told, no, you got to put it on yourself first when the plane's going down, but it's just not our instinct. And very often, when we're doing that, I think we can jump a little too quickly out ahead of the children especially with, with my adult children and, and my adolescent children, if it's all about them, they actually start to, you know, say, well, what about you? You know, am I the only issue here going on? Is like the family's going crazy just because I have ADHD or I'm neurodiverse. Right. So now I'm broken and I've broken mm-hmm. the family. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I think we do, it's a benefit to our children really to, to, honestly look at the whole system. You know, my, my family therapy background, we look at not just, you know, the, the identified patient, we look at the system in which that's working or not working. Mm-hmm. And uh, if a parent is willing to go through that process and understand what their special stuff is, you know, their ingredients to the, to the pie that we're you know making as a family, I think it shows uh, trust in the process. I think it's uh, do what I do and what I say, as opposed mm-hmm. to just what I say. So it's a so. healthy kind of a modeling. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we do bring some to the dynamic. We call it parenting for a reason, right? 
Um, <laughs> those old years of just child rearing are kind of long gone. Yeah. And so who are we being as a parent is part of what creates the dynamic of a, of a family fabric. That's right. Here. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take it a minute. I, I want to reiterate one more thing you said before the break. And that's for those who, who we were talking about diagnosis of younger kids versus teens versus adults. One of the reasons that the gold standard for diagnosis for children is to screen out other issues like learning disabilities. That's what what Aaron was referencing. So the reason, if you've been referred to a provider that does several days of testing, a, a more intensive kind of testing than than is being referenced here, there may very well be good reason for that. So this does not rule out more comprehensive psychoeducational evaluations so that we can really see when a kid has learning disabilities or other kind of behavioral things going on. But the point is that at a certain age for teens and young adults, when we know that those other issues are probably not at play um, and into adulthood, there may be a more streamlined process. Is that fair? Yeah, that's my position on that. I I will sometimes say if a 50-year-old dad like me has a learning disability, then there's not a whole lot I'm going to be able to do about it, you know? <laughs> um, but if my five-year-old does, there's a whole lot I can do about that. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I don't worry so much about missing some of the, the things that could be there for an adult, but I think it's important for our younger ones to do more comprehensive, to really have an understanding of what else could be in the mix. Neurodiversity is in itself a diverse experience, right? There's really? so yeah. many different ways that, that it can be manifest and, and uh, we don't want to miss any of them. Beautiful. All right, let's take a quick break and maybe we'll be right back. Wonderful. Hi, it's Elaine. And if you like this podcast, you'll love our coach approach. Whether you're a parent looking for support or a professional supporting families, we invite you to download a free guide with 12 key coaching tools at impactparents.com slash gift. You can begin using a coach approach to help kids become more independent or improve all of your conversations at work and at home. That's impactparents.com slash gift. Welcome cool. back, everybody. My guest is Aaron Dodini. We're talking about diagnosis and treatment of ADHD, plain and simple. The diversity of neurodiversity is what we were just talking about, which I love. Um, so let's shift out of diagnosis and into treatment, because you really have a, a, a treatment facility, a treatment center. You treat all kinds of aspects. Yep. So let's talk about from your lens. What do you see when you look at at adequate or, or effective or comprehensive treatment for ADHD? Well, you and I are preaching to each other's choir here. I, the word comprehensive, I think, is so valuable and important. If we have a thousand ADHDers, we have a thousand different presentations of ADHD. <laughs> right. And so there is no one treatment that covers everything. There's no cure. You know, medicines are great. They're an important piece of the puzzle for sure. But so are the behavioral training and, and, and therapies and, and exercises. The, the, um, I tell people all the time there, you know, we, we need to use a whole toolbox. Um, and we may not use every tool every day for the rest of our lives, but we are going to have a really healthy toolbox to use when we need it. So I think in our program, we use, you know, we really partner very well and, and intimately with the primary care physicians to make sure the medicines are, are right. We can titrate them using multiple tests and retests and see exactly what we're doing in terms of symptomology. 
but we're also doing the coaching and, and our adult coaching program includes uh, some one-on-one stuff and then some group stuff. And you know, the power of, of group yeah. coaching and that community aspect, body doubling, we, you know, kind of do that virtually and some creative ways, the webinars and the educational processes. I mean, it's, there's so many different resources that I think come to bear and help you feel like you're not alone in, yeah. in the process. And then it's the executive functioning and learning the skills and, and figuring out how to create environments, uh, uh, again, systems that work for us, you know, addressing some of the emotional components of it, the relational components, you know, that's where I think therapy can be, be helpful as well, right? Where we're learning. I mean, I tell people all the time, I, nobody got more focused by doing psychotherapy, but we do learn about ourselves and we learn about our relationships and we learn how to be more vulnerable in the, in the context of ADHD. Man, it's real hard to tell somebody we need help, right? That yeah. RSD kicks in and, uh, but gosh, isn't that risk and vulnerability the you know, the bedrock, the building blocks of, of intimacy. Yeah. So, so much. So I want to come back to RSD because you've mentioned a couple of times, but before we do, so for clarity therapy, what you're saying may not, is not likely to help you organize or focus or a lot of the executive function challenges of of ADHD are not actually going to be addressed by therapy. No, that requires coaching, right? It requires coaching. But when you've had a lifetime of not understanding why you were or weren't doing what you were doing, that's got this kind of psychic wake that therapy as adults can really help us navigate emotionally and come to terms with and accept and understand ourselves so that we can use those skills to manage. Is that fair? Oh, I couldn't agree more, Elaine. Yeah, I I think it's particularly in those adults that I've worked with who've never been diagnosed and for them to start to unpack, particularly girls and women with high IQs and are high achieving, they don't get diagnosed with ADHD. They get diagnosed with depression or anxiety. Anxiety. Yep. And so they grow up and they do their life thinking that that's what's going on. And um, sometimes it is right. It's a, it's a part of it, right? ADHD can certainly exacerbate depression and anxiety yeah, um, and often does, but to help people along the path of self-love, more compassion, understanding themselves better. So that's where the therapeutic component, I think really in that wake that you, you talk about it just sort of pushing us along of where's our next growth point. And mm-hmm. for my, for the work that I love to do, you know, I have a motto <laughs> that I will sometimes use out there, but that sometimes our ADHD diagnosis is often the catalyst yeah. for this growth opportunity, for this change, for for excellence. And it really sometimes starts with the humility of, I do, in fact, need some help to understand myself and, and let myself trust others. Um, yeah. And Which that's when therapy is hard for everyone to do, oh, yeah. but particularly when you've spent your whole life pretending you don't need it. Or wanting to not need it, or just like you know, there's so many. I was I was actually having a conversation with my almost 23 year old son the other day about this issue because he was so raised in this world of ADHD awareness and knowledge yeah. that you know, and he's beginning to see his friends as young adults figuring out as young adults that they never figured out how to navigate it, right? Yeah. Because we often medicate kids, but we don't give them the full 
way to understand it. And so there's so much involved with, as you say, self-acceptance and self-awareness yeah. to manage ADHD. Yeah. That's an invitation, <laughs> right? We have to be willing to accept the invitation and a diagnosis in that way, I think, feels almost like an invitation to, to the next step of self-awareness and self-growth. Yeah. Yeah. So can you mention real quickly before we wrap, RSD? It's a term that's been thrown around a lot. You've mentioned it a couple of times. What is it? It is the sensitivity to and the reactivity to what I think of as our internal stimuli, right? Um, we think of impulsivity as, in some ways, the, the reaction to external stimuli. But our internal processes, right, those with ADHD are often more sensitive to criticism, fear of rejection, judgment, uh, those, those fears are often reinforced, right? When we see that there are days that we function at a high level and everyone loves us. And then the next day we can't, and it's really easy for us to expect that they're going to treat us the same way we treat us, right? Well, with criticism, with judgment, with, with contempt, that RSD piece, I think. RSD, everybody is rejection, rejection sensitivity, dysphoria. Yeah. Okay. And, and just stems from. Uh, you know, the, the profound sensitivity, right. That we are sensitive to and, and very often reactive to our environment. Mm -hmm. and that can be our emotional environment, our interpersonal environment. We may not be real great at identifying um, and, and accurately identifying interactions, you know, on the, on the neurodiverse spectrum, if you will, there, you know, there's a lot of overlap sometimes with some of our autistic spectrum issues with ADHD, emotional intelligence, and these kinds of things. But I really think it stems from just uh, in some ways a gift of being sensitive to, yeah. to being an empath, but learning how to do that more effectively, learning how to, in some ways, question those immediate knee-jerk assumptions that we're making. It's real common for when we're working with uh, couples in particular, well, she said this, and I, I know that means X, Y, and Z. And, and the partner is like, what on earth? I didn't I, mean that. I didn't mean that at all. Right? Yeah. But they're so certain. And it comes from this, this place of, of vulnerability and fear. Well, and judge self-judgment. Like what, what, when I start working with adults with ADHD, the almost always the, one of the very first conversations uh, has to do with what I call put the stick down because we adults with ADD and I wasn't diagnosed to my forties have had this stick that we've been beating ourselves over the head with all of our lives to be successful. And the challenge with the stick is that it worked. No. It wasn't a particularly good mechanism for getting ourselves to get stuff done, but it worked. And so we really do have to learn to put the stick down and find other ways to motivate ourselves besides beating ourselves up. Yeah. You know, most of our defense mechanisms worked really well for a really long time and yeah. they, they're they fantastic, but yeah. we outgrow them, right? Yeah. And we can't keep using that same stick. I tell some folks all the time, like, you know, when Linus was five, his blanket was awesome, you know, protected right? him, it soothed him. It was great. If he's 45 walking around with that blanket, there's a problem. Yeah. Right? And Fair so enough. many of our our coping mechanisms, the way that we've motivated ourselves that has worked brilliantly, just aren't doing they've it for us anymore. We've outgrown them. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. 
All right. I hate to wrap this up because I, I could talk to you all day. So fun. Um, tell us a little bit about how people can find out more about you. Yeah, we're, I'm licensed in about 40 states, 46 states, something like that. And so the best way to, to reach us is through our website. Uh, I think it'll be in the show notes, but it's onlineadultadhd.com. We, you know, once you're in our, on our team, we're able to wrap you around with lots of different services and whether it's the helping you get with the medicine or the coaching or the therapy, creating that community, we want to be part of that whole process um, with you. Beautiful. Okay. Before we wrap, is there anything we didn't talk about you think is relevant to this conversation or anything else you want to kind of reinforce from what we did talk about? I would, I would just put a pin in the concept of exceptional people, Mm. right? I'm working with um, college and professional athletes and I'm working with um, high achieving professionals, right? Who've never gotten diagnosed. And very often what, what made them so successful either as an athlete or as a professional was the structure that was in place, all of the support networks that were there. And when those start to go away, whether it's because they go from high school to college or college to the pros or college to grad school or grad school to being an attorney, those structures disappear very often. And that's when they start to feel lost. And so very often those folks who are high achieving, who do have exceptional uh, habits and IQs, they get missed and they start to wonder at some point, what is wrong? And those are the folks that I think I love working with. I think we need to do a better job of, of identifying them. I never uh, really thought about it until you just said it, but it's it's so true. Like high achievers have been given permission to hyper-focus in their lives yep. and they've been given structure to do it, right? That's There's right. this license to hyper-focus. 100%. And when that license, you know, wanes or whatever, that's when that's when it starts to get hard for me. It was it was when I stopped working and I started having kids and there was like no structures. Like what on earth? Yeah, I used to yeah. be so good at stuff. <laughs> yeah. right. right, exactly. Wow, yeah. I love that. That was that's brilliant. Um, okay, you had you said you had a favorite motto, and I think you were holding back earlier to share it now, maybe. Yeah, so it's the the what I'm saying to folks is let let ADHD um, be your catalyst for growth for excellence. You know, it's we sometimes will have the shame around diagnoses in general, but you know when we get answers, that's just where we start to to thrive to grow to to grow. So true. That's what I say to parents all the time when I hear my kid was diagnosed, I was diagnosed. Like congratulations, because yeah. now you know what you're dealing with. And that's, that's where you start. So beautiful. Aaron, thank you. Thank you for thank being you, with us. Thank you for the beautiful work you're doing in the world. It is a pleasure. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be part of this work with you and your team. The work that you do is inspirational to me. And, and you've been one of the leaders in this country for a long time. So thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that very much. Okay, folks, to those of you listening, thanks for what you're doing for yourself. And for your kids, take a minute and ask yourself, what are you taking away from this conversation? Aaron and I were talking about a lot of things. We're talking about diagnosis. We're talking about treatment. We're talking about being a catalyst for growth and excellence. What's your insight from today's conversation? And maybe, just maybe, what do you want to do with that insight? Is there one action you want to commit to and set yourself up for success 
with following through on? Is there one thing that really you want to take forward with you into your week? And again, everybody, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. I acknowledge you for doing what you do. It makes a difference. We'll see you on the next one. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.